Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Well, in Acts 2, in the the wider chapter, we've got a a brilliant description of God gathering people to himself, gathering people to the Lord Jesus for salvation and the power of his spirit. Uh, You see that as Peter uh, preaches to the great crowd who had gathered. Uh, Do you know, this week we have uh, seen the, the terrible picture of what human wickedness can do, haven't we? And we've seen the terrible picture of human sinfulness in what happened at Woolwich. You know, the graphic portrayal of man against man, of, of people being against others and hating others. With mankind ripped apart of violence and destruction and discord that that brings. And yet, here in these verses, what we're seeing is God overcoming the divisions in human nature. He is here putting back together a broken world as he forms this church. And it is here, and this is a big claim, and I think it's a true claim from what the Bible is saying, that it's in the church that God is actually putting the world back together again. And all through this series in the church, we've been saying that the church is God's gathering. Now in our first week, if you remember that long ago, we said that the church is God's gathering of people. The bringing together of people. And the reason he was bringing people together was because men and women had rebelled against God and that had caused a fracture in relationships between man and woman. Ultimately that was seen at the, at the Tower of Babel where men and women were made to speak in different languages and they were scattered across the world. The scattering was a judgment of God and yet here is God bringing people back together. Uh, drawing them back into relationship with himself and with each other. And with Babel, God judges and scatters the people. And yet here the Spirit comes and the apostles, it comes on the apostles and they speak in the languages of all the different people that were there, gathering them back into one people. Now as uh, the Spirit works in Peter, he preaches the gospel. He tells people why Jesus is king and how they can find forgiveness and that's what they do. And so in verse 41, just before the verses we read, we read this. Those who accepted his message, those who heard the message of the gospel and accepted it, held on to that. Those who accepted his message were baptised and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Imagine how long that must have taken, 3,000 baptisms And what a day that must have been. And from those verses, we read what we saw in our verse, in the, in the verse from verse 42, a wonderful picture of what the church is like. This newly formed church of people who spoke different languages gathered together. We've got this picture of what it was like. And they devote themselves to four things. And when it says they devoted themselves to things, it meant they cherished things. They continued doing certain things. They held on to certain things. They were holding fast to it and continually engaged in it. And this community that's brought into being by the Spirit of God is devoted to four things. Now have a look at verse 42, maybe the person next to you. What are the four things that they're devoted to? So a quick chat between you. For you? 
And hopefully you see the four things that are there. There's the apostles' teaching. They're committed to, they're devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And so the first thing that you see is they're devoted to the apostles' teaching. They're devoted to be a learning church, you could say. So here is this first church, and they're a learning church. They're devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. You saw that in verse 42. And that's why they meet in the temple courts. This is what we read in verse 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Now if you were to read into chapter 5, you would read that at daybreak the apostles entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and began to teach the people. They went to the temple courts daily so they could hear the apostles' teaching, so that they could be learning. And what were the apostles teaching the people? And what were this new church learning? I wonder what you would uh, say the apostles' teaching is. Well, time and again as you read through Acts, you see the apostles preaching. And without fail, they preach about Jesus. They tell of what Jesus has done. That he died on the cross and that he was resurrected. Brought back to life. Now, and as you read into the rest of the New Testament, you read the letters of the apostles, then they, again they're explaining more about Jesus, what he's done, what that means for us, how we live in light of what Jesus has done. They explain what the Old Testament says about Jesus and show how Jesus fulfills all of it. And it's what Jesus had called the disciples to do, the apostles to do. Do you remember what he said to them in Matthew 28? Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. You see, when the the, the apostles had the charge of bringing people to Christ, baptizing them, and then to teach them everything that Jesus has commanded them. And it was taking the Old Testament and showing how it pointed to Jesus. Showing the life, and Jesus, the life and death of Jesus and what significance that has for them. Showing how the life and death of Jesus changes us now. And so this Jerusalem church here were committed to learning about Jesus. Coming to him and to understand more of that. But what about us here? How do we here commit ourselves to the apostles' teaching? Now, there are no apostles now, so how do we submit to the apostles? Now, listen to these words from John Stott. He summarizes it well. He says, if there are no apostles comparable to Peter and Paul in the church today, how can we submit to apostolic teaching authority? That's the, that's the question. And he says, the answer is obvious. The teaching of the apostles is found in the New Testament. It is here that their teaching is bequeathed to us in its definitive form. You see, so that's why when we come together as a church, we listen to the Bible. We listen to the words of Jesus and the words of the apostles in the Bible. In many ways, you could say that a new school opened in Jerusalem on that day. And those who were enrolled were the pupils who had heard the gospel and responded to the gospel of the Lord Jesus. Those that the Spirit of God had come upon and as they heard and responded to the gospel were enrolled in that school. And we too are enrolled in the same school. To come and hear the apostles' teaching as the Bible is taught to us week by week. 
Do you remember what we, we've heard, the definition of church is? The church is the gathering of God's people in order to meet the Lord Jesus in his word by the power of the Holy Spirit and in fellowship with one another. We come to meet the Lord Jesus in his word. That's how he speaks to us now. Now we're coming wanting to hear him speak, which he does in his word. And that for me is quite exciting. Do you know, do you know I think that's quite staggering? That as we come together as a church, we come to hear God speak to us. It's, which is what he does when we read the Bible to us. When we read the Bible to each other. And as we hear it explained and taught. Because God speaks through his word. Which is just a staggering thing. And I find it a really exciting thing for people to come and really want to grapple with God's words. Which is why I love people asking questions. It's why I love to see people on Sundays with their Bibles open. Sitting at church with the Bible open. Looking at what's being said from the front. Looking to see whether that's in the Bible. Taking seriously the apostles' teaching. I love seeing people with their notebooks open and pen in hand, ready to write and to take notes of what's being said. I suppose on the contrary, it's why I get frustrated when I see people with their Bibles shut, listening to the sermon, look with a really disinterested look on their face. Because you see, what's going on when we're listening to the Bible being read and then taught is something of great significance. It's staggering. God speaks to us. And you know, for many, many reasons, this is why I uh, went into Christian ministry. You know, I was working as a, a physio um, across in, in Lancashire. Um, I worked there for seven years and doing nothing wrong with being a physio. It was a great thing to be doing. And yet I became more and more convinced that in the Bible, in the Gospel, we see God speak to us. In the gospel is where we learn what life is about and how we should be living life. And I wanted to help other people to see that. To see that here is God speaking to us. And he shows us what he's like. He shows us what life is like. And we can commit ourselves to that. We can shape our lives around that. And I wanted to help people do that. Now I don't do it very well all the time. And I probably upset people and, and annoy people. But that was what I was aiming to do. And that's what these people were wanting to hear. They wanted to hear the apostles' teaching. They committed themselves to doing that. Well, secondly, we see that this church devoted themselves to the fellowship. They were a caring church. They were committed to the fellowship. I wonder, what, what does fellowship... When you think of fellowship, what do you think about? Maybe just 10 seconds of the person next to you. What, what pops into your head when you hear the word fellowship? Okay, that's enough. I take it by the laughs that fellowship is a bit of a, kind of a funny kind of word. It's a, a tea and toast after the service um, kind, of, kind of word. It's not, it's not a very strong kind of word. But I want you to see, look, look at what, when it says these first believers were committed to the fellowship. Look at verses 44 and 45, because I think this is where you see what it was like for them. So all the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and good they gave to anyone as they had need. You see, that is what their fellowship was like. 
Now here are new Christians who have such a concern for each other. They were willing to sell their stuff so that they could give to others. Now this is really putting yourself out for other people. And Luke really wants us to see this as he's written the book of Acts. Because you see it again in chapter 4. If you flip over the page, you'll see it in verse 32 of chapter 4. Where Luke writes, all the believers were in one heart, were, were, sorry, one, were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Do you find that quite staggering? That's what fellowship looked like for them. Being devoted to the fellowship looked like that for these new believers. A Christian community who's learning together, but also with such a a care and concern for each other. And you see it throughout the New Testament. That's the kind of love that we're to have. That's the kind of care we are to have for each other. Now just remember, these weren't people who'd been friends for, for life. And so we're putting themselves out with. These were people who had become Christians in the, in the previous days and come together. People from all different areas coming together. And here they were with such a concern for each other. And you can you see how God is remaking the world through the gospel of his son? Where people like this come together and have a, a real concern. I wonder if you look around your table, how do you think about the people who are sitting opposite you? Is there such a deep love and concern that you'd be willing to give up stuff for them? If they were in need, you would give up whether that's pleasure or comfort or warmth or money or possessions. What do you have which is so precious to you that you would never be willing to share with anybody else? Has that become an idol in your life? You see, we were to think of the people sitting around your table, the people that you look out at in the evening services as your family. And so what would you do for your family if they were in need? And, and no, it's not something which is demanded of you. It's not kind of a form of communism. No, the people weren't required to give anything. The people had such a love for each other that that's what they did. The people still owned things. That's how they could sell them. From time to time. You know, one of the things we've not really spoken about in this series on church is giving. But here you see a picture of what giving looks like. Giving to the gathering of God's people that you are part of. And here's the, here's like people giving to the church community, caring for them. And the passage in chapters four shows that they gave it to the apostles who then distributed it as people had need. In the same way, when we give to church now. The church council decides where that money will be spent. There are, so some of it will be spent on church services, some on the maintenance of church, some on church on mission partners, some um, giving to different, uh, different kind of uh, projects that we support. But you see, being devoted to the fellowship means that we'll give to people as they have need. We'll share with people. Now, I don't know about you, you might give lots to church. But if you're anything like me, my heart 
is very selfish at times. That I want to keep my stuff for myself. And so I don't want to share with others and give to others. And so as I read these words, I'm challenged to see what a generous church this was. What the gospel shows, what the gospel produces in people. Such a generosity of heart. We'll also see that their fellowship extended into them being an eating church. Now I love this. And the third thing that they were devoted to was the breaking of bread. Now there's quite a lot of discussion if you read the commentaries as to what the breaking of the bread actually means here. And so some say the breaking of the bread is communion or the Lord's Supper. You know that they're observing the Lord's Supper in their home. So John Stott will say that it shows that they're a community of people who were worshipping both formally in the temple and informally in their homes. I, I think it's reading too much into the breaking of the bread to see it as just the Lord's Supper. Particularly, I think, as you read verse 46. This is what, what kind of convinces me. You see what it says in verse 46. It says, Every day they continue to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Now you could translate that second half there. Breaking bread in their homes, they ate together. You know, I think it's not two things, it's one thing. Breaking bread, they ate together. I think what's being spoken of here is people eating meals together. Sharing together food and sharing meals together, again, shows the, the connections they had. You know, coming to church on a Sunday is quite a formal thing. You can have quite formal relationships. Sit down with a, for a meal around a table with people is quite different, isn't it? As you share food with them. Now, Tim Chester's written a book um, about Jesus and where he says that Jesus, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. And so he's written a whole book about uh, meals with Jesus. In an introduction, he says this. So meal, the meals of Jesus represent something bigger. They represent a new world, a new kingdom, a new outlook. But they give that new reality substance. Jesus' meals are not just symbols, they're also application. They're not just pictures, but the real thing in miniature. Food is stuff. It's not ideas, it's not theories, it's, well, it's food. You put it in your mouth, taste it and eat it. And meals are more than food. They're social occasions. They represent friendship, community and welcome. I bet you can remember good meals, can't you? Meals with friends. And it, the food is part of it, isn't it? But it's not just the food, is it? But being with people. Now I can remember uh, sitting in a, a cafe on Balmoral Beach with, uh, with good friends, uh, chatting over uh, the pancakes we were eating and the good coffee we were drinking uh, and just having a great time together. I can remember barbecues with friends where we, we sit around the table and we, we talk. We talk about the food. We talk about each other. We talk about problems that people are having. We talk about joys that people are having. And invariably we talk about the gospel and the good thing that it was. It's more than just that as well. It's the, the passing the plate round. You know, as you have to give your plate for something to put food on it and you share it round, you, you tear a bit of bread off and pass it along and give it to others. It's a great picture, isn't it, of people sharing in life together, forming relationships. You know, it's much more than this is, the, this is the word which I hate, which we use all the time at the moment, when we talk about entertaining. You, know, so you have people around and we're entertaining tonight. You know, it's like you're going to do a dance for somebody to entertain them and make them laugh. 
No, it's not a performance that we're putting on for people. When we have people over for a meal, we are, we're showing hospitality. We're sharing with them. We're not entertaining them. Welcoming people into our homes. And see how these people then eat. And the meals as they share together. Look at verse 46 again. They broke bread together and ate in, in, sorry, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. Can you, you see what they were like? The talk around their table as they shared the meals together quickly turned to Jesus. As they thought, look what Jesus has done for us. How wonderful it is. And how much then they had to give thanks to God about. Maybe they spoke about what they had been learning in the temple courts that morning as they had joined together with everyone else. Maybe they were thinking about how it changes everything. Maybe they were thinking about how they were going to live differently now. What it was going to mean when they got back home. In all of it though, they were joyful. Joyfully sharing together in the food that they were eating, but also in the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And again, see how wonderful it is. Now here are people divided by different languages, but now hearing the gospel, responding to the gospel, and being brought into fellowship with each other, sitting round tables, eating meals together. So they're a learning church. They're gathered to hear the Lord Jesus speak in his word. They're a caring and an eating church. They're in fellowship with one another. And finally, somewhat surprisingly, I think, they're a praying church. Did you see that at the end of verse 42? They devoted themselves to prayer. They're a church which prayed. Now I'm sure that you can't kind of separate all those four elements really neatly to say they did this at one time and then this and then this and then this. They all kind of mingled in together but they were a praying church. A church which prayed. And so in their learning and fellowship and eating they were also praying. A church characterised by prayer and it makes sense really when you think about it, doesn't it? They've been brought into existence by what God has done for them in the Lord Jesus. And so they speak to God. They give thanks to God. They ask God for things. They want to be dependent on him for all their needs. And all through Acts you'll see the church praying. Which is why, um, so they, and they pray for many and different and various things. Which is why I think then that Paul Williams will see outside the Sunday service. The church family prayer meeting is one of the most important things we do as a church. The meeting once a month to formally pray together. It's not that prayer won't happen at any other times, but once a month we're all gathering together to pray. Giving thanks to God for what he's done. Praying for the things that are coming up for us as a church family. Praying for our mission partners. Praying for the persecuted church around the world. It's a really important meeting, the prayer meeting at church. And we had a, a, a question about this at question time a few weeks ago. Why should church family prayer be important? Well, we've got the example of the early church here that they committed themselves to prayer. And so can I encourage you that this Wednesday night, 8 o'clock, that you come up to church, up to the church building uh, where we gather into the church hall where we have spud bar and gather with us to pray. It's a really important thing to do. We meet at 8 o'clock, we, uh, in the church hall, we sit in small groups. Um, we, there's no pressure on anybody to pray. You can come and you can pray quietly. It would be a great thing if you would pray out loud as well. It really encourages others. 
Uh, we pray in different sections, so there'll be a short section of prayer, then something will be introduced from the front, but the next section, and then that kind of progresses on to half nine. But it'd be a great thing to commit ourselves to prayer. And that would be a great way of showing it, wouldn't it? At eight o'clock on Wednesday. Do you know, so the, this praying church, they would have prayed more formally like church family prayer, but they would have also prayed informally around the meal table. I'm sure they would have done that. And as they met together to do fun stuff, they would have prayed as well. When people came round in the evening, they, as they were leaving, they said, we pray for each other? And praying for them. But I wonder, does your delight in the gospel cause you to be a praying person? Praying with thanks and petition to God. Well, as we move to a close, let me finish with an apology. And I don't mean I'm going to say sorry in that sense. I'm using the word there in a more technical sense of providing a defence for something. In this case, for the church. Because I think that's what Luke's doing in these verses. He shows us what church is like and we learn from that. But he's also wanting to commend to us how good the church is. He shows us how the church is formed and progresses. He shows us God building his church, gathering this group of new believers. But he's also showing how good this thing is. He doesn't shy away from the fact that there's difficulties in the church. And if you read into chapter 5 and 6, you'll see that the church wasn't perfect. There was difficulties. Yet he presents a compelling and delightful picture of people who are gathered together by the gospel. Listen to these words from uh, David Peterson's commentary on Acts. It says, Luke was commending the positive example of the earliest, earliest community of Christians to his hearers. This was not a breakaway movement from Judaism, but the true Israel, where his spirit was powerfully at work, fulfilling God's end time promises. With its unity and joyful sharing, it also fulfilled certain ideals of the Hellenistic world, which would have been appealing to Gentile readers. Luke does not hide its weaknesses, but he implies the church in Jerusalem was a model of what could happen when people were bound together by a belief in the gospel, an understanding of its implications and an enjoyment of its blessings. And do you not think it is a marvellous picture? How God has gathered these people and this is what they were like? And can you see the effect that this group had on others? You see it in verse 47. They enjoyed the favour of all the people. You see, people saw how good this group was as they learned and as they shared and had fellowship with each other, cared for each other, ate meals together and prayed together. People saw it was good. And this verse 47 goes on to show, and the Lord added to their number daily. And you see how the church was apologetic to have commended the gospel to others. As people saw the church community, they saw, wow, look how good that is. And being committed to the church doesn't mean that you'll have to be somehow less evangelistically fervent. Being committed to the church means that you will be more evangelistically fervent. And actually being committed to the church will mean that the gospel seems more attractive as well. I was reading uh, just this morning an article about which was saying how people really want to have community. As, they've got, as there's so many things now where you can get community online, people really want to meet physically and do things together. 
Which is why festivals are such a big thing. Because people love to gather together with others. And which is why the gospel, creating a church community, church community can be such a powerful thing for us. And for our friends. And for your classmates to see. That here is a community of people gathered together. Looking out for each other. Caring for each other. Praying together. Eating together. Learning together. It's a great thing. And I wonder whether you will commit to the gospel, to believing its implications, enjoying its blessings in fellowship with one another, drawing others into the blessings which God has. Now here is the, are the seeds of a world remade. In the gospel, in the church that it creates. And let me pray to close. Father God, we thank you for the example of this church here in Jerusalem. And we give you great thanks for it. And Father, we pray that you would help us to be committed to the church. To the the apostles' teaching. To fellowship with one another. To eating meals together. To praying. And Father, please, would you add to our number those who see this church community and hear the gospel, understand its implications and want to commit themselves to following Christ. Father, would you do that in our midst? We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.